Mac Power Use, episode 458, MPU Plus, recorded for November 2018. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal, David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you feeling? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. I'm uh, looking forward to talking about all this feedback we had this month. And uh, this month, you and I both spent piles of money on new hardware. So we can talk about that a little bit, too. It was such an expensive month between the new hardware and the gift guide and Thanksgiving and Christmas right around the corner and... I just need to I, I need to put the credit cards away for a while. So I, I don't know if this episode's going to help much, though. Sorry. But we both bought new iPad Pros, and we definitely want to spend some time today talking about uh, now that we've been using them under fire for a little while. Yes. Uh, before we do dig in, um, I have a big announcement that I want to make at the top of the episode. And if you normally skip past the announcement parts, I, I would ask you to hold off for, for just a minute before you, you hit the next chapter button, because this, this one does kind of pertain to what's going on in the future of Mac Power users. This one's a doozy. <laughs> it is. Um, I wanted to let you all know that the, uh, the time has come for me to make a change. So after nine years and soon to be more than 460 episodes, I've decided that the time has come for me to say goodbye to Mac Power users. Um, never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined the success that this podcast would have had um, or the opportunities that it has created for me both uh, personally and professionally. I think I famously said that we would not make it uh, past 10 episodes and boy was I proved wrong. Um, but I know that I would not be where I am today without this show. And I owe such a debt of gratitude uh, to our sponsors who believed in us, um, to especially our listeners uh, who keep coming back for some unknown reason, episode after episode after episode. Um, and then, of course, to you, David, who have, have stuck with me um, throughout this amazing journey. Uh, you all have lived my life with me, um, a good chunk of my life, and um, it has been an absolute amazing time. But to, um, I think there's the song that says, to everything there is a season, and uh, I'm turning into a different season in my life now. And so December 31st will mark my last episode of Mac Power Users. So this is uh, not a decision that I've come to hastily. It's something that Dave and I have been talking about. Um, it's been on our radar for a couple of months, and the end of the year seems like a natural time uh, to wrap things up. So that's that's when we've decided to uh, for, for me to take my leave of you. Uh, but don't fret. The uh, show will go on. Um, and David is continuing on and already has a new co-host. So, David, do you want to um, announce who that is? Yeah, there's no replacement for Katie Floyd. Let's all agree on that. But uh, Stephen Hackett is going to be joining us on the Mac Power Users starting in January. I I am very excited when you because we talked um we talked about this and you know you asked me if I had any thoughts and I was very careful because I I didn't think that it was appropriate or my place to say who I thought the announcement would be. I didn't want to have any you know dead hand control over the the course that the show went because I didn't think that that was my place. But I I will tell you um, that I in the back of my head was always saying Stephen Hackett, Stephen Hackett, Stephen Hackett. I mean he is um, the the ultimate Mac guy. And I, I think he will be a, a great yin to your yang. 
Thank you. I think that's a a great choice, and I uh, look forward to seeing all of the things that Stephen brings to the show. And I know that he is very, very excited about coming on board. Yes, he is. So um, I don't want to dwell on this. Um, Some of you may have noticed that my online presence has diminished the last few months, and I will tell you that that has been intentional. Uh, I've said sometimes, um, both on this show and on other interview shows that I've done, that uh, I I feel as though I've lived a double life. Um, Sometimes I I live in two worlds. I have my internet life and, and my real life. And I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed spending the last nine years with all of you. But I'm I'm very happy to say that I've got some really exciting things happening, you know, in in my real life. Not to say that the internet life is to diminish it or not my real life, um, but I it, it's all good things. There there is no drama here. There's there's nothing untoward to say. Um, but I've I've got some exciting things going on for me um, personally and professionally, and it's uh, time that I step away from uh, MPU to focus on those things. So uh, that, that is, that is why now, and that's, that's why I've decided to, to make that change. And, and I think the, the listeners understand, but in case they don't, we spend a lot of time preparing this show. This is not the usual, let's just get on the mic and talk about the latest news show. And um, I know Kate for a fact, how much time Katie spends working on the Mac power users. So I appreciate that you've got some things going on where you're just not going to have time anymore for this. Right. And I, I did not want the show to suffer and I did not want, uh, I, I just was not going to have the time to continue to be able to devote to it, um, uh, going forward. So I'm, I'm very excited about what's ahead for me and, uh, very excited about what's ahead for, for MPU. But, um, the, uh, the two paths, uh, I think diverge at this point, but, um, I don't want to take up any more time with this than we need to. We've got another month or so. And so I want to make the most of it. So we're going to continue putting out great episodes. Uh, at least I am until the end of the year. Whatever you guys do after that, I'm sure will be amazing as well. Yeah. And we want to, and one of the reasons we announced early is we want everybody to know that we want to send off Katie, right? So if you have some ideas for things we should cover uh, with Katie in the last month, on uh, the last month of her run on MPU, please let us know in the forums because I'm definitely reading those and want to make this a special month for Katie. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to sending you off right, Katie Floyd. I appreciate that. And and I am going to post a note in the forums about this as well, probably the, the day or so before this show posts. So um, this won't I'll, I'll maybe you can post whatever you want in, in that thread. And that way we can kind of keep the discussion contained there. So you can find all those again at talk.macpowerusers.com. So yeah. yeah. And and in terms of going forward, we are going to continue largely with the same format. We're going to have a lot of content shows, a lot of guest shows. And maybe a few little changes here and there, but overall, you know, it's the Mac Power users. We're going to still work really hard every week to give you good content. Um, I have a much less important announcement. <laughs> okay. Uh, so for years, Katie has given me a hard time about my love of wrapping gifts. So just uh, partly, I think, to uh, to satisfy Katie, uh, I have been in production for the last two weeks on the Max Sparky Gift Wrap Field Guide. And it should be done. Wait, and up- this, 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 I did not know. This is your field guide? Yes, I told you I had one coming in November that was a surprise kind of for you. That I was going to give you grief about, and clearly you were correct. Yeah, so I've been making a a field guide on how I wrap a gift, and it's free. There's no cost. It's in learn.maxsparky.com. It should be up by the time the show posts. If not, it's going to be within days of the time the show posts, but I think it'll be up by then. 
See, when I, I saw this in the show notes, it just says gift wrap field guide. And I just assumed that was shorthand for you making a plug for everybody to put your field guide under the tree and gift wrap no. it for somebody else. You actually, you've actually produced a field guide on how to wrap a gift. Yes, it's more work than you think it is. But anyway, it's free and it's how I wrap a gift. So the way that I wrap a gift is I ship all of my gifts. I have Amazon ship them all to Max Sparky. And then he ships them back to me. Is that an, is that yeah. covered in the field kind? Yeah. And you're going to do that after you leave the show too, right? You're going to continue to send me your gifts to wrap. <laughs> I think so. Yes. In fact, you could use some for your version two of the field guide. If you'd like, I'll give you permission up front. <laughs> well, anyway, it was a lot of fun shooting it. We're still doing post-production on it, but it, it should be out by the weekend. So um, if you want to have some fun, if you want to see how a nerd wraps his gifts, go at it. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I, I will tell you, this is something I need some help with because usually my, so I'll give you my gift wrap field guide. I'll give you this for free, okay, free see. right, right let's here. Um, what I do is I get all the gifts and I, they, they come, you know, they, I, I, the last couple of years I've done all my shopping almost exclusively online. So they come, they get dropped at my door and for weeks I collect them and pick them up and I just drop them in a corner of my guest bedroom. And I keep the door closed. So like if people come over, you know, they don't go in there. You can't see whatever. So I drop all the gifts in the corner of my guest bedroom. And then usually like the Saturday that I put my Christmas tree up, I'll I'll um, just have this weekend where I'll put on a Christmas movie and I'll lay all the stuff out on the kitchen table or on the table I'll set up in front of my TV and I'll put on a Christmas movie and I'll just start wrapping through gifts as fast as I possibly can. They, I mean, they look decent. Like I'll use tape and everything. I don't staple the paper together or anything, but I've got a couple of rolls of wrapping paper and some tape and some scissors and I just, you know, go at it as fast as I can. I, I think it's because I did so much woodworking. I'm obsessive about it. I don't want there to be any tape on the outside of the package. What do you mean there's no tape on the outside? How do you, like, make the thing stick? Uh, if you watch the field guide, you'll learn how. And there's no seams as well. I, the, you know, I don't want any seams. Like, you, you know, when you've got a seam, uh, we can't have seams on the gift wrap. So I'm completely obsessive about it. Everybody makes fun about it of me for it. Katie used to make fun of me about this a lot in years past. I haven't raised it in a few years. So therefore, I clearly haven't. But, but this year, I got the studio set up. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to shoot a video on how I wrap a gift. Okay. <laughs> Katie, I'm going to beta test you. I'm going to get you in. As soon as we have something I can share, I'll, I'll get you in on it. So you can uh, you can use that those techniques this year. But you might need to watch a few more movies. You're gonna, it takes a little bit longer. You're going to miss this so much after December. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Katie Floyd. We we talked recently about how I I I bought the Star Trek season. Yes, the Star Trek Discovery. There is something you didn't tell me. Yes, there are a few things I didn't tell you. I, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm pretty upset with you. We're going to talk about this offline. My goodness. You know, I think we could probably talk about it. It's been out for a, a, a month. We could like blow the spoiler horn, and then we could talk about it if you wanted to. But um, I mean, she was she was my candidate for maybe better than Picard. <laughs> Oh, poor Georgia. Well, other- I haven't finished the season yet, so don't tell me anymore. Okay. But it's like, oh my goodness. I, I almost called you, except it was the middle of the night. I knew it would be like two in the morning in Florida, but boy, I, talk- I was cursing. I would have talked to yeah. you about it. All right. All right. So how, how anyway, far in no, are you? Nobody wants to hear this. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear this. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about the iPad. Well, that's the other thing, gang, is Katie, even though Katie's leaving, we've already decided we're going to have to have a monthly call just to get it off our chest, whatever both of us are carrying around. We so. just we just won't, won't record it. <laughs> we just won't release it as a podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should. Maybe that'd be even more popular than MPU. Who knows? <laughs> 
Um, anyway, uh, so new iPads showed up. Uh, Katie bought the 11 inch. I bought the 12.9 inch. And we both have had them now for a few weeks, and I thought that would be a good time to to weigh in. There was all the people kind of doing the initial reviews, um, but I've been using mine daily. I assume you probably have as well. I I have. I've been pretty happy with it, yeah. Yeah, and you bought, just to recall, you bought the Space Gray Cellular, uh, what was it, um, 64 gig or 128? 64. Which one you got. 64, yeah. Yeah, 64. And um and I bought the Space Gray twelve point nine uh five twelve. I got the big one. And um and so why don't you tell me your initial thoughts now that you've been using it for a while? Okay. So first off, if you get the Verizon cellular iPad, which I, I although I have had a cellular iPad once before, I have never had an iPad just connected to my Verizon plan. I had an iPad that had one of those you know, where you you used to have the iPads on the cellular plan where the, the pay-as-you-go service, where you would turn it on for a month and then turn it off and do those types of things. Um, so if you have the Verizon iPad, be prepared that you have to buy a SIM card. So I had to get a SIM. Or it's free. When I say buy it, I just mean order it. So you had to order it. And um, that took a few minutes to figure out and get activated and all. But it was it was pretty easy. There was a, a way that, that walks you through that. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit later. But um, the initial thoughts, uh, the 11-inch, uh, the bigger screen is nice. I will tell you that when it came to typing on the on-screen keyboard, it took a, which I don't do often, but I, I did for some initial setup. Um, it did take a little bit of getting used to because the, the finger placement is is different, which I think is to be expected, obviously, anytime you, you have to get used to uh, a new form factor. And do you type on the little one in landscape or portrait? Landscape. Uh, I use the 11-inch iPad almost, I, I use my iPad period almost exclusively in landscape. Okay. The 11-inch, the um, the aspect ratio is a little different. So I will tell you that your apps do have to be updated because there are black bars on the side of them if they haven't been updated. But the black bars are not bad at all. Um, I, I certainly wish that all the apps would be updated and that we could get get that moving on. Um, but the, the black bars are, are not bad. But in terms of the actual physical form factor of the iPad, um, I absolutely love the new squarish shape. Um, I think it's probably one of the best looking iPads, if not the best looking iPad we've ever had. Yeah, I saw in one of the forums someone was asking if if it feels sharp in your hands, and it doesn't at all. Not at all. They've rounded off the corners enough that you can hold it comfortably. And and I'm talking from the big one with the smaller one, it's it's lighter, so I'd assume that's even more comfortable in your hand. Right. I will tell you... um, the first couple of days, and this has since gone away, but the first couple of days that I used the 11 inch, it felt a little bit heavier to me. And now keep in mind that I'm using it with the keyboard case attached, which I was with the 10.5 inch as well. And I, I probably need to, to look at the specs to compare them side by side. But I could tell just initially the first few days using it that I was getting a little bit of hand fatigue because it, it felt a little bit heavier Um but that went away after a couple of days of using it. So I don't know if it was just a little bit different and I got used to it or, or what, but that was a a few days thing and then went away. Yeah, I posted a short video on YouTube uh, after I'd used mine for just a few days, but I am, now that I've got a few weeks in it, I am totally sold on the new form factor like Katie. I think, you know, getting those bezels even smaller really helps. One concern I had was that the smaller bezels were going to lead to um, uh, uh, unintended touches, like, you know, your thumb 
reaches onto the screen while you're holding it. And then that creates a touch where you don't want it to be. And I haven't experienced that once. I mean, I, it just hasn't been an issue. Whatever they did to figure that out, they, they got that sorted out pretty easily. Um, with the bigger one, it actually got lighter because it's, it, it is physically smaller. And as you'll recall, with the 11-inch, they took the 10.5-inch body and just grew the screen inside it. So you got now have an 11-inch screen in the same same form factor. With the 12.9-inch, they kept the same size screen, but they shrunk the um, the casing around it to make it um, smaller. And that shrinkage is largely top to bottom. It's you know, I didn't I didn't have a tape measure, but I think it's about an inch less from top to bottom on the sides it's much less there's a little bit it's just a little narrower uh, in portrait mode you know but but so like if you want to hold the 12.9 and type in portrait mode with your thumbs over the keyboard at the bottom that's still actually quite difficult so any other thoughts on the general form factor or you want to talk about some of the features I like the way, I guess just, I, I like the way it feels in my hands. I do like the way, I just like the new industrial design of it. Um, we talked about it when they announced it, how it reminded me of the iPhone four. A lot of people are saying it's more like the iPhone five, but the, um, but I do like that design. I wouldn't mind seeing an iPhone come back that looks something like that at some point. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just been solid. The battery life's been great and, uh, it feels good in your hands. What about this new USB-C port? I am already on board with USB-C. I am ready for them to make the transition now across all of the lines. Um, John Gruber actually has an interesting take on it. He doesn't think that the iPhone will go to USB-C anytime soon, if ever. Um, he thinks that they're going to stick with Lightning on that and that USB-C is, is really more of a geek thing, which probably explains why I'm already on board with it. Um, but I'm I'm good. And I think part of that is um, the MacBook for me, made that transition a few years ago, made it easy. I, I already had all the cables I needed. In fact, I only ended up having to buy a few cables because what I actually found that I was doing is when I got my iPad, um, I needed like a long USB-C cable because I wanted to charge it next to my bed and it's it's on a nightstand. So I needed a little bit longer cable that would go down to the plug, you know, in the, in the outlet. And I was like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I have one. So, you know, I went into my cable bin and, you know, sure enough, I, I found one because the cable in the box, I think, is only about three feet. And somewhere down the, along the line, I, I bought a, a six foot cable. So the only cables that I end up buying um, were pretty inexpensive. I bought the USB-C to headphone adapter, which I haven't even taken out of the box. It's it's pretty much just going to live in my travel bag. Um, and then I bought a couple of USB-A to USB-C cables for compatibility. And um, I bought a three-pack, I think, of anchor cables for that. And that's mainly because I wanted to have the ability to charge my iPad um, in a standard USB-A outlet if I needed to. I've got a couple of those USB-A outlets like on my kitchen um, counter. And, you know, if I was traveling, they, a lot of times they'll have those in hotel rooms or on airplanes. And I just wanted the ability to, to be able to charge with the existing USB-A powers. But um, I already had extra USB-C cables. I already had some USB-A chargers. I'd like to pick up another one. Um, I already had a long USB C cable and I already had the Apple digital AV adapter, which I think is the, the, the big one. So, yeah, I, I bought the Apple USB C to SD card reader, which was $39 seemed like quite a bit. And then I saw that there's some third party ones, but by the time I did that, I already bought it and took it out of the box and everything. So I'm probably just going to keep it and just eat that. Uh, but like you, I already had most of the cables I needed. So that that's been fine. 
there's a lot of discussion about, you know, why isn't this thing doing more with that USB-C cable? And I think that's a fair question. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, I suspect that Apple is not deaf to the fact that so many reviews had these big question marks attached to them about, you know, Apple wants to to call this a computer, but you still can't plug a drive into it and get files off of it, which is something that people do with most computers or a lot of people do. And it just seems to me like it's such low hanging fruit. It's like, I don't know how they can not afford to just add that feature. You know, um, uh, I heard Jason Snell somewhere talking about, apparently he had heard that they had cut a bunch of features out of the iOS operating system this year to kind of make it more stable. And everybody's speculating that some of those iPad features were some of the things that got cut. But overall, uh, USB-C has been fine, and um, I don't miss lightning at all. It, it is a little weird having um, now two primary connectors for your Apple devices, but it feels like we're always in the middle of some cable transition, doesn't it? Well, and uh, I, we're now at the point where, you know, Gruber has, and I'm going to try to find a link to them if I can, I'll put them in the show notes, has these cables that have multi-tips. I've always had these these um, um, mini, because the main ones I have is I have the micro USB-A the micro USB, the lightning, and now I have USB-C. And Gruber says, I've always had these cables that have the tip that go from micro USB-A to lightning. And those are pretty easy to find. And, um, you know, they're, they're pretty small cables, so that's fine. Uh, and he has these cables that have that plus a USB-C adapter on the end. And so now he's switching over and cabling those, carrying those. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of like you know, spider tentacle tips on the end of a cable to, to carry around. So I don't know whether I'll split a bunch of those to those. It, it may be nice to to have a few. Um, I, I just really don't want to have to carry multiple cables around to charge. It'd be nice to have just one cable that charges everything. And because I had a laptop with USB-C for a few years, basically all of my anchor charges have a USB-C port in them. And I haven't been using those ports lately because I didn't have anything that plugs into USB-C. So now that problem is solved. I'm just using those cords to, to charge the iPad. And when I go on the road, and when I travel, I always take the iPad. I don't bring a Mac with me. That port will be used for that as well. I, I mean, I'm glad that they're going to a universal port, and I do think they have more plans for it. I'm curious to see what they are. Um, and like everyone, I, I don't think I'd necessarily use the ability to plug a disk into it to get files off of it every day, but I sure would like to have that ability. You know, I've, there's certainly been times in my life where people want to give me a thumb drive full of files and not being able to get that on the iPad is a pain in the neck. Um, but when you think about it, there are so many things that are lightning, not, not just the iPhone and the, the regular iPad for which there are millions and millions and millions and millions of devices out there, prim- primarily the iPhone. Um, but things that we don't think about, you know, the Apple TV remote charges with lightning, the smart keyboard travels, uh, charges with lightning, the, um, uh, what's the, used, used to be the mighty mouse and the trackpad, but whatever the Apple mouse is now, um, charges with lightning. So, uh, I, I don't know that a lot of those things are going to change. We'll see. Hey, there's more on the new iPads, but before we get there, I wanted to take a minute to talk about our first sponsor. And that's our friends over at the Omni Group. This episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by the Omni Group and their latest version of Omni Focus 3, which is now out for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. This latest version adds several new features uh, while still keeping it beautiful and a usable application. So what features are those, you may ask? There's quite a few. First and foremost is tags. 
Uh, you can make tags for people, energy level, priority, location, whatever floats your boat. Katie and I did a whole show on getting your task management system together, and we spent an extended period of that show talking about tags. Now OmniFocus supports all of that. Um, they still have that amazing forecast view where you can see tasks that are going to show up in your future. It's a great way to plan forward. And now with the forecast mode, not only do you see the tasks, you also see the calendar events and they're all tied in together. So a task that's due at 9 a.m. is going to show up before an appointment at 10 a.m. Uh, I use that every day. There's, there's some folks I know that are using that forecast view and OmniFocus is their daily driver to get through their entire days. They've got enhanced repeating tasks. They've got batch editing on iOS. They've got these new cool flexible inspectors. So you can make the app uh, as busy or unbusy as you want it to be, depending on what you're doing with it. And it's just overall an amazing update to some, some really great software. And as with everything the Omni Group makes, the app is functional, powerful, and beautiful. So head over to the OmniFocus website, uh, and that's at omnigroup.com, and download the trial, and then watch uh, the free portion of my OmniFocus field guide. It's like, I think it's over 30 minutes to give you kind of get a, a way to get started. So you download the app for a free trial, get some free training on it, and just see for yourself how much of a difference it can make for you. I still use OmniFocus every day to keep my life in order. Without it, I'm not sure how to get anything done. So thank you, Omni Group, for sponsoring the Mac Power users and also for just making some great software. Let's talk a little bit about the accessories that um, went along with the iPad. Um, the big one that I want to talk about probably because I don't have the other one, uh, is the keyboard case. I have long talked about how the keyboard case on the iPad is really what has transformed the iPad for me uh, from a consumption device um, to a creation device. It, it's I love the keyboard case because it is a small, thin case that I keep on my iPad all the time. I can keep it in my purse with the keyboard case on it. I can pull it out. I always have a keyboard no matter what I where I go, and I'm instantly ready to to take notes. I use the keyboard case all the time, and it has absolutely transformed the way that I use my iPad. Um, although I really don't need an iPad Pro in terms of power or in terms of the things that I do, um, I would be perfectly happy to buy a regular iPad if they supported a keyboard case for it. The fact that they don't is what keeps me buying the iPad Pro. And I've tried Bluetooth keyboard cases, and they're fine. Um, but there is something about being able to have that case on there all the time and easily fold away when you don't need it um, That is that is what's really made the difference for me. Now, we did get a redesign of the keyboard case with the, the new iPad Pro, and I will tell you that uh, there are some good things and there are some bad things about the new keyboard case. So what, what are the good things for you? So good things for me in, in terms of pros, I will say that it is much more stable. That That's a good thing. The, the, the iPad does not wobble when it's in the keyboard case and when I'm typing and... Um, that I, I haven't had a problem with the iPad popping out of it. The the design is is much more stable and feels much more solid. And another good thing from my perspective is the two viewing angles. Uh, the uh, the viewing angle because I work at a standing desk quite often, and the viewing angle on the prior one was too far back for me, so I always had to do crazy things to try and prop it up. With this new one, you've got a, an angle that's nearly vertical and one that's propped back quite a bit. I mean, it'd be great if you could have even more, um, but two is better than one. And I have already appreciated that. 
Um, I think another pro for me about it is there is now built-in protection for the back. I I don't think that you had a back case for your iPad and maybe ended up with a few little dings and scratches as a result. I always just bought a very inexpensive, usually clear black back case for my iPad because I felt it important to have some kind of back protection. And now with the new keyboard case, you you do get two in one. You get the the front protected and the back protected. So um so that is that is a plus two. I also like the fact that it's no longer the origami mess that it was before. I mean, uh, if you took the old keyboard and just laid it flat on the table, it was it was long because you had to like do all these folds before you could you know set it up to hold your device, and the keyboard had a fold over it. and And I know that there's a lot of complaints about the fact that now if you fold it in the back, the keyboard is facing the back. But I think they made the right decision in the sense that it's much easier to open and set your iPad and just start typing than it was before. I also think the magnet attachment on the back is a lot easier. I mean, before it was kind of precious. You had to get those magnets, those those contacts lined up just right with the edge. And now it's it seems like you just kind of get it near and the magnets take over. Um, let's talk maybe about some of the things that are not so great about the keyboard case. Um, I think some of the cons are that it does add about half a pound. Uh, the other keyboard case did add some weight, but not as much. This keyboard case is definitely heavier than the other. So particularly if you're going to keep it on your iPad all the time, um, it does add some weight. Um, the other con, the big one that I would tell you is that there is no longer a viewing only mode for the keyboard because with the the origami style design, you could fold it back and prop the uh, iPad up just for viewing only, which I did a fair amount. Um, now the iPad, although there are two viewing angles, um, the keyboard is always out when you're viewing. And that's not, it's not the end of the world. It's fine. Um, but I did like the idea of having it be able to to flip back if you weren't using the keyboard. I've always only used my keyboard when I only had my keyboard attached when it's either in my bag as a kind of a protective thing for the screen and now it protects the back as well. But when I'm using it and I'm not going to be typing on it, I always yank it out of the keyboard. And I have those stumps all around the house. I've talked about them in the past on the show. It's just a big piece of molded heavy rubber that you can set an iPad in as as a you know, to prop it up if you want to watch a video on it or something. But the, um, but I do think, I know for a lot of people, they don't want to see the keyboard while they're watching video on their iPad. And you can't do that with this new one. I also think a big downside is the price. It's $200 for this keyboard. It's a keyboard cover. It's $200. Remember the original iPad was $500. This is almost halfway to the cost of the original iPad for a keyboard. Yeah, and it's a little bit less if you get the smaller one, but I think it's like 179 It's not significantly less. Um, and, and then you touched on this a little bit when you fold the keyboard back. The keys are facing out, so when you hold it without the keyboard, you're, you're constantly feeling the keys. Now, the keys don't – you don't get accidental input, but you, you are feeling it. Um, I, the other thing that I will tell you is I don't like the way it looks. It The the other one, although it had the origami design, it, it did at least add a little bit of texture and a little bit of character. This keyboard case is very, very bland. Um, it is gray. There is no Apple logo. It is completely smooth. So it, it especially if I have it in my kitchen, it's very easy to pick up dust or crumbs or something else. I mean, would it have killed them to emboss an Apple logo on the back, perhaps in um, in horizontal mode? Um, 
because they're the only people who can put that Apple logo on the back of the keyboard case, would it have killed you to do it? Well, I think that it's just an opportunity to put a Mac Power User sticker on the back. Ooh, I think I still have some of those in my drawer. Um, yeah, I have never been one to adorn my devices with stickers. Uh, this might be one that gets a sticker. In fact, actually, I think I still have a six color sticker sitting around that I've saved all these years. Well, it's, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people complain about that. That doesn't really bother me that much, to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm, I'm just sliding it in and out of my bag. And and when I want to use it, the keyboard covers on the table. I'm not looking at it. So, or behind, actually behind it. Uh, I'll tell you, my keyboard had a problem in that it, um, it, it kind of had some of the issues Katie's uh, computer has had. <laughs> well, actually, not the same issues, but the space bar stopped working, like, within a week of me getting it. Like, I sometimes it would hit the space bar, and sometimes it wouldn't. So uh, I took it into an Apple store. Um, they were very nice about it, but they didn't have any new ones to replace it. And the guy actually said to me, he says, oh, you're the second one in today with this problem. I'm like, oh, and um, so this is on the 12.9 inch. I don't know. Maybe if anybody in the forums has also had this problem, let us know. But the um, space bar and the left side of the space bar worked just fine. The right side, which is the side I press the most often, uh, was not registering 100% of the time, which, you know, as you can imagine, I use the space bar quite a bit. So I don't have one now. Uh, they didn't have a replacement, but I didn't want to get outside my two-week window and have to deal with making a genius appointment to convince them it was bad and all the other nonsense. So I just returned it. And uh, I'm keyboardless right now. I've been using instead that stand I mentioned in last week's show um, and a, a Bluetooth keyboard with it. But uh, I've got one in order. It'll be here in like a week. Okay. Well, that's good. I think that's an outlier, but it's it's worth mentioning. So... But um, but that's the that's the keyboard case. So David, you're going to have to take the next section because I do not have an Apple pencil, but I have heard so many good things about them. I will tell you that I actually put one on my Christmas list this year. Oh, did you? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just depends what you're going to do with it's it. It's just I, the I, right size that would fit in a stocking, I must say. If if anybody else is listening who might want to buy me something, I think a lot of people who are not artists just assume they don't need a pencil. And I find the pencil quite useful for just even working the user interface. Like uh, every evening I have like a shutdown routine where I sit down usually on the couch and just go through my OmniFocus list for the next day. I have a, a perspective that shows me the, the flag tasks that are either today or tomorrow and I can move between them or, or adjust them. And I find using a pencil to do that much faster than using my fingers because I just, you know, I can I, I essentially add nine inches to the end of my finger that way, and it just makes it very easy. And then I do um, some other apps that use pencil support, you know, um, Notability and some of the others. So I, I have a, a use for a pencil. Um, you know, the thing about this new one is that it's it's better in most ways. And by that, I mean you get... It, it charges easier. You know, you just set it on the side. And I, and I was, maybe I'm a fanboy, but I never hated the prior system. I know everybody's now saying, well, the last one was terrible. Um, it seemed to me like it made sense because I always, I did have circumstances where I only had my iPad and my pencil was running out of gas and I needed to give it some charge. So you could pull the cap off and then plug it in the bottom. And if you just had it in there for a minute, you'd have plenty of charge to get you through whatever you're doing. And that seemed like a, a nice solution. But of course, the new one is so much better because it magnetically attaches to the side. So you're just going to always have 
it on the side, you know. Um, sometimes it's a little inconvenient when you're holding it in portrait mode. I still work in portrait mode with my iPad sometimes and just thumb type. And in those cases, the pencil's a pain in the neck because it's like kind of in the way on the side and it, it, it can come loose. I mean, it, it's magnetically attached, but it's not like bolted on. So in those cases, I just pull the pencil off. And if you just lay it across the back of the iPad, about the top inch, there's enough magnets up there that they hold onto the pencil for you. And I know it's not charging up there, but it's it's out of the way and I can get it when I need it. Um, the, uh, the texture of the pencil is much better now. They've got a matte texture, which feels better in your hand. And I also like the length. It's like if you took the cap off the old Apple Pencil, it's, it's about that length. And just that, you know, taking that little bit of extra length off makes it balance better in your hand. So overall, I'm, I'm a big fan of the pencil. It's, uh, it's easier to, to keep charged. And uh, because it's attached to the, to the iPad, especially if you use it in typing mode like Katie does most of the time, it's right on the top of your device. You can just pull it down anytime you need it and then snap it back up there when you're done. I suspect, Katie, uh, if Santa brings you one of these things, you're going to actually find more use for it. Yeah. Now, um, talk to me about how well attached does it stay if you throw this in a bag or I mean, like, is this something that you can just that will hang out for you? Um, If like I talked about that, that sling bag last week on the gift guide, Um, it is uh, it will fit in the iPad's uh, pouch slot of that bag and stay roughly attached because that slot is just about the right width for a 12.9 inch iPad. If I had the 11 inch in there, I suspect the pencil may come off because it's quite a bit narrower than the slot for it. Um, but what I usually do is when I put it in my bag, I just take it, I disengage it from the iPad and just put it in the pencil holder in the bag. And that way I don't have to worry about having to fish it out of the bag later. In terms of the magnetic strength, it has never just fallen off for no reason. You know, if I bump it hard enough, it'll fall off, but it's not something that once you put it on there, you can rest assured it's going to stay there. And I feel like they got the magnetism just about right with that. I'm, I'm sure they spent a lot of time figuring it out. But, I mean, it snaps into place. Uh, one issue is because there's multiple magnets up there, it can actually snap into the wrong place um, along the edge. Like, it could be too high or too low, and it can attach, but it's not a good attachment. Uh, when you get the right attachment, you know. And if you just look at it visually, you'll see that it's not properly aligned. Um, but I mean, it's just been so great. Another problem this solves is because the pencil was always paired to your device before it was always dead when you pulled it out of your bag, even if you had charged it overnight, because in your bag, the pencil was still burning battery. But now with the fact that you're always storing it on the iPad, it's very easy to get it charged up. And it charges fast as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you a nice little indicator and you're fine. And same with the lightning, you can stick it on for a minute and get another 20, 10 minutes or so of going? Or it, Yeah, it doesn't charge as fast. I haven't run experiments. I mean, I think the lightning was charging a little bit faster. but That would make sense, yeah. Because it's always charging, I just never really have an issue. I mean, if I set it up in the keyboard, I immediately just snap the pencil on the top. And if I'm not using a keyboard, I just snap it on the side or the top anyway. So I, it's just always charging. Anything else on the pencil, or can we move on to LTE? Nice improvement. Yeah, that's good. Oh, and another thing that's more expensive. It went from $100 to $129. Yikes. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. So, 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about LTE because I, I know, David, this is something that you've had for a while, but for me, this is kind of a new thing. I have had one previous iPad with LTE, but because of the plan that I was on, it was one of those things where you kind of had to pay for it on a month-by-month basis. And as a result, because I'm cheap, I just didn't use it. You know, I would turn it on if I was going on a trip or a specific thing, but I would never like turn it on just because I was leaving and going to Starbucks or something like that because I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be here. I don't want to turn it on for just this one little thing that doesn't make sense. But this time, you know, I've had a, enough instances in the past where I felt like I wanted LTE on my iPad and, you know, tethering with the phone, although it worked, it was, I, I have found that to become significantly less reliable, although I don't know if that's intentional or what. I, I know it's not intentional, but I feel like the tethering with your phone was supposed to get a lot easier and maybe it did for a little while and then it all of a sudden didn't again. So. I decided to bite the bullet. I was going to go all in and I was going to not only buy the more expensive LTE version of the iPad, but then I was going to go ahead and activate it on my Verizon account. And I have plenty of extra data. The tipping point for this was really a couple of years ago, changed the Verizon plan. And it was one of those things where I went from having like two gigs a month to now I have like 30. I, I, I don't know what happened, but my plan jumped to like eight gigs. And then they were having a promotion where you doubled your data and then they like doubled it again. Or I, I don't know, but I've got all of this data that I, I never use. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to activate my, my iPad and, and use it. And I have already used my iPad on cellular multiple times. This is really, again, and like the keyboard transformed my iPad again in a way for me, it's transformed my iPad from a device um, that I would take with me when I thought that I had a need for it to now a device that I almost always throw in my bag uh, when I'm going out for the day, rather than one that I would only carry with me when I had a reason to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, do you have to pay, like for me with AT&T, I pay, I think it's about $10 a month. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Just to keep the device active. But it just dips into the pool of data. I, I think that's a total game changer instead of knowing that anytime you pull this thing out, uh, you've got the internet. We we've had a thing in the family, and don't worry, everybody. You know, it's all fine. But I've spent most of the last three weeks um, visiting someone in the hospital, and the um, so it's been really hard to get work done. But having the iPad with that always on cellular connection, so the twelve point nine inch iPad has got a lot of workout from me in the on the road, and that cellular connection was just a a real help. In terms of just kind of, this is our miscellaneous section, things that we didn't really have enough time to, to give them their own section. Um, I was skeptical, a little concerned about Face ID coming to the iPad because I think I, more than you, David, have, have had more difficulty with Face ID, although I feel like that has improved with software over time on the iPhone X. Um, I have had no problems with Face ID on the iPad. So I think this is a combination of that hardware is better as well as the software has gotten better over time. Um, Face ID on the iPad really has worked for me, period. And I will even go so far as to say it, it, it works for me better than it does on my phone. And it especially works for me so much better than it did on my phone when I was having complaints about Face ID on the phone. Because I will tell you, I feel like I'm not having as many complaints about Face ID as on my phone as I used to, because I feel like I'm not typing in my password as much as I used to. Have you done this thing where you put it in the keyboard case and you just hit the space bar and the screen turns on and it just unlocks like you don't have to do anything. It just sees you and says, oh, there's Katie. And, um, and the other one that I really like is 1Password. Um, whenever I go to get a password and 1Password gets involved, it, it authenticates me with Face ID 
Like without me having, I'm just so used to having to reach up on the iPad to touch the uh, the touch ID, and it's just crazy that it's just done now. It's almost like not having a password on the device. My my one complaint I will say about this, and again because I have my my iPad in landscape mode and I'm holding it, I get the camera covered warning all the time. So I just move my hand and then it's fine. But if my hands aren't on the keyboard or out of the way, always all the time camera covered. Thank goodness for that warning, but. Why in the world could they not have put Face ID on the landscape edge? I think it would have been covered a whole lot less because I'm sure Apple has data on this, but I really feel like I'm not an outlier here. I know that the iPad historically has been a vertical product, but I don't feel like that's how it's used now. I would hope that someday they can get that technology to a price where they could put a couple of them in. You know, like put one on both landscape and portrait orientation. Yeah, that'd probably be a little expensive, but... Um, one thing I'd like to say, so coming up from the original iPad Pro, um, just a couple things that I had to notice. First, the, um, what is it called? The True Tone on the iPad? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Please, please. It's so great. And then uh, the 120 frames per second, I forget what they even call that now. Um, Smooth something. Um, anyway, uh, Apple has the, it, it refreshes the screen um, 120 times per second, and it, it's like butter. I mean, scrolls like butter. It, it, just because it's been so long since. Well, I mean, in my in my in my time frame, so long, about over three years since I updated, I see all that stuff. It looks really great. Overall, um, we're both pretty happy with our iPad Pros. It sounds like. I do want to take a break and um, talk about our next sponsor, and that is our friends over at Luna Display. Luna Display uh, is the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. Uh, Luna Display is great because you will have a super portable second display with stunning image quality and basically zero lag. Uh, Setting up a Luna Display is super simple. They give you a little dongle that you can plug into your Mac, and you'll be set up and running in seconds, and everything just works over Wi-Fi. Um, and if you don't have access to a Wi-Fi connection, that's no problem either because it can just connect over USB. It is as simple as that. Uh, Luna Display acts as a complete extension to your Mac. It supports things like external keyboards, the Apple Pencil, as well as your touch interaction. So it basically turns your Mac into a touchscreen device. Uh, David and I were just talking about how we have these these great interactions with our new iPad Pros. Um, and isn't it great that you can now take these devices, whether they be 11 inches or almost 13 inches, that you're carrying with you all the time now, and when you need to extend your Mac's desktop from time to time, you've already got the screen right there for you. And this simple, super small, super slim device uh, that you're already carrying around, uh, you plug in your Luna Display adapter, and boom, it's all done. I like that it's almost nothing else to to carry. You just take the little tiny Luna Display dongle and throw it in your travel bag, um, and that there's no configuration. You just plug it in, and you're good to go. There have been other um, products that have tried to do this, and that they have done it to some degree, uh, but Luna is the one who has really gotten it right. Um, it is it is a completely different ball game, and of course, listeners of Mac Power users can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display by going to lunadisplay.com and entering the promo code Power at checkout. Again, that's lunadisplay.com, L-U-N-A-D-I-S-P-L-A-Y.com and entering code POWER at checkout. So thanks to Luna Display for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. So uh, I didn't buy one, Katie, but I spent about a half hour with the new MacBook Air. I went into the store and goofed off with it when I was getting my, when I was returning my keyboard, actually, on my iPad. 
And um, just some very basic thoughts. Well, let me ask first: have you have you ever owned a MacBook Air? Yeah, yeah. I had the first one. The well, I'm sorry, the second one, the 13 inch one, and that one worked its way down through my family until about six months ago. It finally gave up the ghost. But that thing was like seven years old or something. I don't know. I mean, it was just you know, it just went on and on. And the um the the new ones are are really light. I I think they got it right with the form factor. Uh, when we talked about them right after the event, um, it wasn't clear at the time, but uh, you know the um, the uh, dies and the, uh, the the processors in them are not very powerful. But I guess it depends what you do with them. You know, uh, the uh, I, I do like the new design. The new screen looks great. I'm super confused as to where the the Mac, the MacBook Adorable fits in the in the system now. Now we're gonna have we're gonna have people ask. So the MacBook Adorable is just the plain MacBook. It's a twelve right. inch MacBook, MacBook. But, but it has a Retina screen. It's fanless. I mean, I guess there's. Uh, I just think that the um, the sliver of people that are going to want that instead of a MacBook Air is pretty small. And um, but the uh, but overall, I think they did a pretty good job with it. I uh, I I know it's not really a Final Cut logic machine, but for people that do email word processing, sending someone off to college, I stand by what we said in that show. I think it's going to be a great computer for that. You know, the MacBook Air for so many years was the default Mac. When, when somebody asked you for a recommendation, this was the Mac that you recommended to them. But now it's a little bit harder because, well, depending on how you configure it, you can get the low end touch bar MacBook Pro. And, you know, depending on you know what you need, maybe you go with that. Um, do you think now that this fits into the realm of the default Mac again? Uh, to me, I think it's still probably the default answer. Like I was just thinking my wife has a 13 inch MacBook Pro, the very first one they made. And it's about five years old now, and it's still working fine. But, you know, when they're five years old, you know that at some point you're going to start having trouble with it. And when that one dies, I think I'll just get her a MacBook Air. For what she does with it, it's fine. Um, and in terms of, of power, we talked about it being a little bit under power. I guess it depends on what, what you're doing with it now. I think for most people who have, you know, college needs or, or those types of things, it's probably going to be enough. I would say if you're if you don't need one of these, but if you're somebody that just likes to buy the latest and greatest, I would not recommend buying one of these. I just have this feeling. I mean, and I'm not alone. It's been written about by lots of people that Apple is going to do something with an ARM chip and a Mac in the next year or two. And it seems like this is the perfect place to put it if they're going to try that. And and, um, you know, just imagine one of those arm power that instead of, you know, 12 hours of battery, it gets 24 hours of battery. And um, I think there's going to be something interesting on the horizon. Well, we'll see. I, I think Apple also is is heading down that line of of um, of arm based Macs. I, I think it's probably about time for them to do that. But um, I think it's it's kind of telling how many times I think the answer is zero. They uh, they said the word Intel in their their last keynote. And you know what else? The new MacBook Air is more expensive. Of course it is. Of course, it's got a theme here, and and it's actually quite a bit more expensive because the build out, I believe the um, the entry level is one hundred and twenty. It's it's um, eight gigabytes of RAM and one hundred and twenty eight gigabyte. SSD, which that, that SSD at that level is going to be really hard to justify. You got to put another $200 into it to get it to 256. Um, so, uh, and we had several people writing into us both on Twitter and in the forums about this increase in pricing. 
Um, you know, MacBook Air um, went from nine ninety nine to eleven ninety nine, and I understand that the old one is still available. But the entry, what they consider the entry level of the new one, is two hundred dollars more. Mac Mini went from four ninety nine to seven ninety nine, and I have some thoughts on that too. iPad Pro went from six forty nine to seven ninety nine, and the iPad Pro twelve point nine went from seven ninety nine to nine ninety nine. So, Apple's uh, is increasing their their uh, margins here. This is probably something that that warrants some discussion because it irritated a lot of people. Uh, I will tell you candidly that it that irritated me. Uh, Rodrigo wrote us and and broke us down a little bit for us. You know, the MacBook Air. If if you're buying the baseline model, you basically saw a twenty percent price increase. Again, for the Mac Mini, if you're buying the baseline model, you're seeing a sixty percent price increase. Um, the iPad Pro, it's about a 23% price increase. And um, on the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, it's about a 25% price increase. These are not insignificant price increases that we're seeing from Apple across the line. We did hear in um, Apple's conference call that they do with investors that they are no longer going to break out the um, the amount of sales for iPads and other devices that they have year over year. Instead, they're going to talk about the money that they make from the devices. And I think this is probably pretty telling. And, you know, for an investor conference call, what they're saying is, you don't really care how many iPhones we're selling, you care how much money we make off of them. And that's probably true from an investor standpoint. I think it's kind of the, the geeks who want to dig down and know, well, how many iPhones are you selling? Uh, the investors want to know, well, how much money are you making? Um, but is Apple getting to a point where they're pricing themselves out of the market? And I think we also need to look at why are we seeing these these price increases? Is it because they're they're building a product that truly does cost more to make? And so therefore, the price increase is needed for Apple to keep their their basic you know, if you assume that they're going to make so much profit off a device that the the price increase is warranted for them to continue to maintain that same level of profit, or in and I, I use these words hesitantly, are are you saying that Apple wants to make more money? So one way to make more money is to take the 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 device that basically costs them the same amount to make, um, and gradually over time, you know, raise the price on them. I'm not so sure I see this as gradual, but because, you know, anywhere from a 20 to a 60% price increase is pretty significant. Well, I think on the iPads, just let's talk about the iPads for a minute. I think the answer to those questions would be both. I think that they have significantly increased the product. I mean, the the new design, the better screens, that edge-to-edge screen, the the multi-core processors that are now benchmarking at the same speeds as MacBook Pros. I mean, that stuff is not... You know, that doesn't come for free. So I'm sure that these are better machines than they were selling last week or before this released. And I think it's a pretty significant increase. But I also think they are trying to bump the margins up a bit, too. Um, the The interesting thing for me on the iPads, however, is that we don't talk about it much on this show because we're power users and we always want to talk about the latest, greatest, and biggest tools. But you can get into a 32-gigabyte iPad, not the Pro model, but the basic one for three twenty nine. Honestly, that's the iPad that most people need to buy. Yeah, no, exactly. And my sister was just saying, well, she wants a new iPad, and this is the one she's going to get. I mean, she doesn't need the Pro. And um, uh, so I, I, I do think that the existence of that lower price tier on the iPad line makes it a lot easier for them to, to charge more on the Pro line. You know, if you want to buy,
buy the latest and greatest and be on the bleeding edge. It does cost more, but but we have a product for you if you don't want that. And the 329 iPad is a pretty fine iPad. <laughs> I mean, it's there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good iPad. So I don't feel so bad with the iPad line. Uh, with the Mac Mini line, I, I can I think it's really a different product. That the new Mac Mini is an enthusiast Mac Mini, whereas the original Mac Mini was a desktop replacement Mac Mini. But the uh, but the Macs themselves, I, I you know, I, they are definitely creeping up in prices, and and as we all know, it's like it seems like there are there was a, a period of abandonment on Macs that that we've all suffered from. That's why we've all got the same keyboard. That's why you had this one that was causing you so much trouble. So one of the listeners wanted to name your MacBook the MacBook Deplorable because you had so many problems with it. I'm on board with that. You know, so uh, that's the one. I, I feel like in the Mac line, I just need a I need a little bit more explanation, and I just need to see you guys deliver the goods a little bit more before you start raising prices. I will tell you the one of these that that gives. I I, I generally agree with most of what you said. Uh, the the one of these that gives me the the most heartburn um, is the increase in the MacBook Air. Now I I get it that Apple is still selling the old MacBook Air. I think they are right. I'm pretty sure they still are. Yeah, they are. Um, it's in the store. But you probably shouldn't buy the old MacBook Air. They um, probably shouldn't be selling it. They probably shouldn't be selling the old MacBook Air. I mean, this is the classic Tim Cook strategy. And you know. Yes, for eleven ninety nine for twelve hundred bucks, you are getting a Retina display. Yes, you are getting USB. Um, uh, you're getting Thunder. I'm sorry, you're getting Thunderbolt three. Uh, you're backwards compatible to USB C, but you're getting Thunderbolt three. Um, you know, you're you're getting a much better product. But do those things? You know, for, if I'm just wanting to get my kid a a laptop to go to college, or I I just need a laptop and I want a Mac it gets a lot harder to justify that. And I would still tell you that if you're, even if you're buying these low end products, if I want to get a desktop Mac and I want to get a low end iMac, if I want to get a low end MacBook Air, if I just want to buy a Mac because I want to have a Mac computer, the lowest end of those that are available aren't necessarily great machines. And, and you're probably not going to have a great experience if you just buy the low end, because number one, you can't upgrade it later because, um, you know, when your niece says, oh, you know, you really shouldn't have bought the one with the fusion drive. You really should have bought the SSD or oh, you really shouldn't have gone with just eight gigs of RAM or, or whatever it is. I could upgrade that for you. Oh, but wait, no, I can't. I wish that they could have found a way to get that new $1,200 MacBook Air, the Retina one, down to even 1100 I mean, really, ideally down to $1,000, but... Even eleven hundred dollars. I mean, it, it's just I just don't like the idea. I, I, you know, I guess I do. I'm ma- I'm making the sin of uh, relating to Apple. You know, I, I'm I like Apple. I love using their products. I hate the idea of people going to an Apple store and walking out of there with a MacBook Air, a non-retina MacBook Air. It's just it was a great computer in its time, but its time has passed. But somebody, there's lots of people that today, as we record the show, walked into an Apple store, put down really good money, $1,000, to buy a computer that's really already out of date. That's true. Okay. Um, well, I don't know. We don't have all the answers, gang. But um, that's something to be aware of. I, I do think Apple wants to raise prices on their pro products. Having a lower tier, good quality product is a, is a way to solve that problem. And I don't think they've solved that problem on the Mac yet. 
I guess if they can eventually get the component costs or whatever down on the MacBook Air, Retina MacBook Air to a thousand dollars, everybody will feel a lot better about that. Yeah, it would be nice for there to be a, a good nine ninety nine computer again. All right, um, we had a lot of feedback uh, over the last month. Uh, one of the most common questions I got is we talked about the uh, my crazy home screen, you know, with the um, Siri shortcuts. Um, I'm not doing that as much as I was when I made the video. I, I was just kind of playing around with it, but it was a proof of concept. Yeah, and it it works great. A couple of them I've kept on my home screen, but most of them I've been using from the widget screen. I really like the way it's just cleaner run from there. And I hope in a future version of iOS they'll be able to do it where it doesn't jump to Safari and then to the Siri Shortcuts app when you run those shortcuts. Um, but people didn't care about that as much as they're like, well, how did you get those black spaces? Because at the top row of my home screen was blank in that, and there was no names on the icons. So a bunch of people asked me about that. Uh, the way I made the black spaces was I just have a black background because I still love that OLED screen on the phone and the black background looks great. So I made some Siri shortcuts that, and you can give them a custom icon in Siri shortcuts. If you don't know how, I've got a cool video for you on that. Um, but the, um, the, I just made a black icon, just a solid black icon. So that's, that's how they were black. And then the way you get rid of the name is you have to have an ASCII character when you create a desktop app out of Siri shortcuts. It will not let you make it. But there are some blank ASCII characters. And I just put those into the paste buffer. And then I paste them in, and it, and it allows me to put an icon on the screen without a um, title. I'm going to, uh, we talked about this on automators too. I'm going to make a, an automation, I'm going to make a series shortcut to insert those blank characters, and I'll share it hopefully by the time the show goes live. But if not, next week I'll have it up. As, this, as we're recording the show, the gift guide just went live, um, but we've got, um, we've got several people already giving us feedback on that. Um, one listener wrote in and said the Waterfield micro wallet is a good gift at $19. So, oh, that's a good one. I've never used that before. Um, there was lots of people weighing in on Katie's use of Evernote or, or, or my, my lack of use now with, with Evernote. Um, yes, it's a thing. It's happening. <laughs> It seems like everybody's kind of with you, Katie. I think a lot of the listeners have started to kind of jump ship on Evernote. A couple of people wrote in that said they were doubling down on it, but most people seem like they're kind of leaving. Yeah, I will tell you, I, I feel bad about that because I, I love Evernote and I've loved Evernote for many, many years. And it was very good for me for, for many years. And I'm not leaving Evernote necessarily for any particular bad reason. I'm not leaving it because it stopped working for me. I will tell you the price increase was was really something that made me stop and look at it and say, yeah, am I really using this as much as I, I need to? Um, I, I will tell you, I really just, it my workflow evolved uh, such that I'm not using it um, in a way that I really need to. And I, I found other alternatives that basically were free um, between using a files and folder system in Dropbox and between using, um, you know, other, other tools like Apple notes. I just found that what I had in there so often could, could, was just cruft that had built up that I didn't need. Um, and I found that a lot of that could just be deleted. And the stuff that I did have in there was actively using, I, I found other places where it could be used. So, And just reading through some of the listener comments, uh, popular replacements were Dropbox and or iCloud. And of course, Apple Notes is a, 
I mean, it really scratches the itch if you're in the Apple ecosystem. It has a lot of the same features as Evernote. Yeah. And then obviously DevonThink is another one that I think a lot of people are using. I, I personally, I've used DevonThink and I have no problem with it. I wanted to get away from one of those, um, you know, big uh, mammoth uh, throw everything in it type system. So I was looking specifically for a solution that was not Evernote-ish, which I think if you want, if you specifically say, I don't want to use Evernote anymore, but I want something that's very similar, I think Devin thinks make, makes a lot of sense. If you, But that didn't make a sense for the problem that I wanted to solve. And one of the listeners on the uh, forum, I forget I didn't write your name down, I'm sorry, uh, had a problem with Apple Notes where it lost some notes. So, and and it doesn't really have the robust backup system that you see with things like Dropbox or even Evernote. So um, that's something to be aware of. Hey, before we continue, I want to talk about another sponsor, and that's our friends over at FreshBooks. Everyone likes to save time, but it's especially important when you are a freelancer. FreshBooks makes online invoicing easy. If you head over to freshbooks.com slash MPU, you can get yourself signed up. Now, our friends at FreshBooks can save you up to 192 hours with their super simple cloud accounting software for freelancers. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. Now, that number 10 million is important because you know that these guys have serviced a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. Whatever problems they are, they've already solved. When you hook up with FreshBooks, you've got a working system to just get your bills paid. Um, the new notification center they've added to FreshBooks is great. It's like having your own personal assistant. You always know what's changed in your business since you last log in and what needs to be dealt with pronto. And they also have this cool uh, feature when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks will show you whether or not they've seen it. So uh, it allows you to know whether or not you know they've opened it before and ends the guessing game because sometimes clients just haven't seen the invoice. But if you know they've opened it and seen it, you can call them and say, hey, is everything going okay? Um, and if you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks now, now's the time to try it out. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of Mac Power users. There's no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash MPU and enter Mac Power Users in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get that free 30-day trial. So maybe there's a few people that owe you money. Maybe you've got a side hustle going on. Just do the trial with FreshBooks and see how easy it is to use and get yourself set up with a FreshBooks account. So going forward, you can get paid. It's great. I love it. You send them the invoice. They've got the credit card thing right there. They pay the bill. Clients always pay the bill sooner. If you get it by email with the credit card thing, they push the button, they're done. It, it saves you a bunch of time. It saves them a bunch of time. And it gives you a really solid paper trail of everybody you're getting paid on. So I'm, I'm a big fan of FreshBooks. Go ahead and check it out. And we thank FreshBooks for all their sh- support of this show. Once again, that URL is freshbooks.com slash MPU with uh, entering Mac Power Users and How Did You Hear About Us? Thanks, FreshBooks. So we had a uh, a workflow show with uh, Laura McClellan a couple episodes ago. It was it was this month, maybe last episode, episode before last, depending on on when you um, listen to it. And there was some talk in the Mac Power Users Forum specifically about routines. And one of the our, our listeners there, um, Aaron, wrote and said that he wanted to hop in real quick and say how great he enjoyed the discussions about routines on this episode. And it's easy to forget that while we always love having the best apps and the latest tech, 
It's about how consistently we act in the way we do things and in what order we do them that can sometimes have the biggest impact on the progress we make. And uh, Laura is in our forum. So she uh, she wrote back in and, you know, said that that, that was so true and kind of wrote a challenge. And so I want to um, push everybody over to this forum to answer it themselves. Uh, but I thought maybe, David, we could start by answering it. And, and Laura says, I love playing with apps and tech, but learning to be more intentional and purposeful about my habits and routines uh, has definitely been the biggest impact on my productivity. And so she asked the question, are there any routines that you've developed that have helped you be more productive? Oh, yeah, I have so many because I, I feel like if you can turn something into a routine, then you don't have to think about it. And that's less mental bandwidth you spend on getting your work done. So I, I've been really drinking from this fire hose for years now. Like I, one of the things I have is a morning routine. Every morning I have certain things I go through and now I've been doing it so long. I don't even have to think about it. And it's super useful for me. How about yourself? Do you want to, do you want to give example? I mean, I mean, you, you can leave some stuff out or you can customize it. No, but, yeah. no, I can. I mean, and it's funny. We talked about this also on free agents recently or, or upcoming show free agents, but like uh, for me, uh, Mike Schmitz and I talked about on free agents once the idea of eating your frog, like, you know, every day you've got, if you just eat the frog, if you do the hardest thing, first thing, then it, at least you got that done for the day. And yeah, that's, that's from Mark Twain, I believe. Yeah, right? no, we, yeah. we, we credited, we credited Mark on that show <laughs> but the, uh, or Samuel. Uh, Samuel the, Clemens. Um, yes. Yeah. So, but so my usual, in a perfect day for me, I get up at six and I spend an hour on whatever the frog is for that day. Sometimes it's a legal client thing. Sometimes it's a Max Barkey thing, but just having an hour of quiet time to work on that, then I do that. And then, but at seven o'clock, I have an alarm go off and I stand up, I, I go and I put on my fancy um, running clothes and there's a, a trail that I hike slash run around where I live. And I do that every morning. And it's just a great way to start the day. So I've got, by the time eight o'clock rolls around, I've spent an hour doing quality work. I've got, um, I've got some exercise in, maybe a little meditation, and then I'm dressed and I'm ready to return to work and kind of start the day. And I love having that starting routine to get me going because it really makes a difference in making me feel like I'm productive to start out with. And that energy from the little morning exercise always just kind of really gets me rolling through the day. How about yourself? Well, I, I don't have a specific morning routine necessarily like you do. I mean, I, I do the same things routinely every morning. And like you, I do try to eat the eat the frog, you know, first thing in the morning because I found that I'm I'm sharper first thing in the morning. Um, de depending on the day it is, I, I will try to do uh, at least 30 minutes on the elliptical machine first thing in the morning. Now, some some evenings I do like a, a, a class at the gym. Um, so the mornings that I go to the, the afternoons that I go to the gym, I, I, I won't do the elliptical machine in the morning, but that's, that's what I try to do is I try to get up and do, um, you know, 30 minutes or so on the elliptical machine, watch the news or, or watch something and, uh, try to get geared in for my day. And then at least, cause for me, that's my frog is, um, you know, trying to find time in the day to exercise. That's always the thing that I will always put off and uh, the thing that when I get home from work, you know, if I'm not doing a specific scheduled, you know, kind of group activity uh, that, that I never uh, can seem to find time in my schedule to do, it's always the thing that will get pushed off. So, um, you know, if I get up 30 minutes early or if I do it the first 30 minutes in the day, I, I do it even before I take a shower. So then it's just done. It's it, it seems like it takes so much less time for me to do 
if I do it first, because then I just go about my day and, and, and how nice it is to have that behind me, as opposed to something that I'm thinking about doing uh, all day long. And sometimes I get distracted with it, but that, um, the, the practice, and I won't call this a routine, but, uh, the practice that I have is, is more of a practice that I do, um, anytime I'm, I'm getting ready to leave or anytime I'm getting ready to, to shut down for the evening. So it's, I'll call it more of a shutdown routine, but it would also apply like when you're, you're getting ready to leave for the day or, or whatnot is I, I try to think, um, what is it that I have to do later or tomorrow and is there anything that I can do now to set myself up for this being an easier task later? So um, an example of that is if I'm leaving for the day to go to the office, because I I, I still have an office outside the house that I, I go to most days, um, I will think, you know, can I throw dinner in the crock pot now so that when I come home, I don't have to make dinner later? Um can I can I put a load of laundry in the the machine now and set it for a delayed start because I know I'll be home at 6 p.m. tonight so that when I walk in at 6 p.m. tonight, the laundry will be done and I can just toss it in the dryer. You know, I try to think ahead of what are the things that I need to do and is there something that will take me, you know, five minutes to do now, but that will save me 30 minutes to an hour later. And I kind of go through that same process when I get ready to go to bed. And so it's, it, it's all, for me, it's all about sequencing things as I'm always trying to think ahead of what do I have coming? What am I doing later? And is there anything that I can do now to set myself up for that? And sequencing is really important in making habits like this. For instance, like I have a meditation practice, but sometimes I fall off the wagon on it. And I found out that if I just take time to do that every morning after I shower, cause I shower every morning and it's like, Oh, I've already got that habit. So I can just tack this thing I want to make a habit onto the end of it. And you'd be amazed how powerful that is. And um, uh, you know, flipping to the other side of the day with the shutdown routine, I have these OmniFocus perspectives that I go through every night. And they're broken up in my personal life, my Max Sparky life, and my legal life. And it shows me the things that I have marked as flagged or due that have a start date today or tomorrow and I just go through and audit those in the evening at the end of the day. And it's so, it's so great because when I wake up in the morning, first of all, I know what my frog is because I figured it out the night before. I don't have to figure that out. I can just sit down and start doing it. And I, I have usually a realistic task list for the day uh, because I did it the night before. And that took me a long time to get to that. Well, I, I tried. I used to try to do that in the morning. But what I found is with my personality – in the morning, I am unbridled optimism. In the morning, I think I'm going to be able to conquer the world, and I always overload myself. And But if I do it in the evening after I finish a day, for some, I, I'm wore down by the day, I guess. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. You're not going to be able to do that much tomorrow. You've got to be more realistic. And so that's one of the things I found out is by, by making that list in the evening, which has now become a routine for me, um, I'm able just to start the next day working and um, and have that done for me. The, the other thing that I'll tell you, and I think, again, it goes to sequencing and, and scheduling. I, Michael Hyatt has this thing that he talks about in terms of setting up your perfect week. And um, a, a lot of it is, is taken by trial and error. I live very calendar-based, and I have certain things that I do on Thursdays, certain things that I do on Fridays, certain things that I do on Sundays, certain things that I do on Mondays. And sometimes I do things on the first Monday of the month. Sometimes I do things every Friday. Sometimes I do things every Thursday. Sometimes I do things the first and second Thursdays of the month. Um, 
And I have really put a lot of intention in setting up this particular routine. So I know every Sunday at, um, you know, probably about 11 o'clock, that's when I go to the grocery store and usually fill my car up with gas if that's something that I'm going to do because I've I've sequenced those things and I know that, that that's what's coming. Um, I am – now, obviously, there are days when things go off kilter. There are days where you have something else scheduled. I'm not so bound by this routine that I, I can't change. But I have set up um, – not not necessarily a weekly schedule and that I necessarily do the same thing every week, but I, I would say I more have set up a monthly schedule in that this is what my month looks like. And I, I put in all of my commitments like I know um, – the the first uh, the second Thursday of the month I have this particular uh, group that meets at the end of the day the third Thursday of the month I have this particular group that ends of the day and I I go from there and I plug in all of my commitments and then I basically build my month around I I like to do these things on Fridays I like to do these things on Mondays these are the things that I have to prep around these things um, and and how does that work so I would say the other one of the other routines that I've built um, has been very much based on getting the calendar out. Not necessarily a week calendar, although I, I am weekly based, but more so for me looking at a month calendar and saying, these are the things that I'm going to hit this day of the month, sometimes more frequently than once a month, but um, this is how I'm going to set that up. Or even just spending some time on the first of every month, uh, planning that out is just a great way, investment of time. I, I would also add to all this, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about maybe trying some of these things. Um, just understand that self-improvement is like keyboard shortcuts, right? Um, the you can't do it all at once. You know, when we we tell you when we tell you to learn a keyboard shortcut, we say just learn one or two until you've ingrained those into your system, and then do another one. Um, if you want to try and pick up some of these tips, just try one and just use it for a week or two weeks or a month until it's really working for you, and then try another one. There's nothing wrong with having ideas about adding more, but I think if you do too much at once it inevitably fails. And the other thing I would like to say, I know on behalf of myself and probably on behalf of Katie, is even though we have these fancy routines and we talk about on a podcast, like we're so good at this stuff, uh, we all fall off the wagon all the time. You know, as I said earlier in the show, I've been at the uh, the hospital a lot the last three weeks. I am so far behind on so many things. And a lot of my routines went crazy just over, you know, because of of, of unexpected commitments. And that just happens sometimes. And my advice is when that happens, just acknowledge it. Don't be hard on yourself and get back on the horse. If you can, don't have two failures in a day. Like if Katie really wants to exercise every day and she has a day where she misses, uh, if you, if at all possible, try to get back into exercise the next day. Try not to have two straight days go by where you miss something that you're trying to like turn into a habit or a routine. Um, it's the second day that kills you, I think. All right. Well, I want to take a break and talk about our next sponsor. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Gazelle.com, the go-to website for buying and selling your used devices. If you are thinking about upgrading to the new iPhone or maybe to the new iPad Pro that we've been talking about, well, Gazelle will pay you for your current device. You can visit Gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, and answer a few easy questions to get your quote. Your quote is good for 30 days, so you can lock in the best price before your device depreciates 
points any further, and you still have time to decide what shiny new goodness you want. Shipping is free and payment is fast. You can get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or a direct deposit right into your PayPal account. You can also shop from a variety of certified pre-owned electronics or trade your device in for cash. So give new life to a used device by visiting gazelle.com today. Gazelle is the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling your used electronics. You can trade in your old device to ca- for cash, buy certified pre-owned, or do both by heading over to gazelle.com and you can get an instant price quote to find out what your device is worth. All online offers are free. All you have to do is answer a few easy questions to get your instant price quote. And best of all, shipping is free and payment is fast. And if you've got a couple of other things in your drawer, Gazelle also accepts the Samsung Galaxy S9, the iPhone 8, the iPhone 10, MacBooks, and a whole lot more. But if you're looking to buy something certified pre-owned, Gazelle has a an incredible selection of quality pre-owned devices at still great prices. You can shop for iPhones 6 through 10. For their iPads, check out their iPad Air, Mini, Pro models, and a whole lot more. And for laptops, you can browse from MacBook Airs and Pro selection. They even cater to Android users with a variety of Samsung Galaxy phones. And best of all, each device is fully inspected and backed by a 30-day return policy and sold without a carrier contract. They also offer financing on all devices through a firm if you need to check that out. Simply provide a little bit of basic information and you can get an instantly approved to pay your device off in three, six, or 12 months. So you can learn more by heading over to gazelle.com. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com. Give new life to your use devices, lock in the value of your phone and trade it in for cash or buy certified pre-owned and get a device for a fraction of the price. That's gazelle.com. Again, G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com today to get started. And we thank Gazelle for their continued support of the show. So Katie, what are you playing with this month? Um, so I bought a big thing. Oh, okay. And I, I do not recommend uh, uh, that everybody do this. But I, I decided to, to do it. Um, I, um, I bought a generator for my entire house. Okay. I bought a whole house generator. Now I, you know, we live in kind of this hurricane central and I've been lucky recently, but other people who have lived near me have not necessarily been quite so lucky. So I started investigating these, um, back when we had the, the big hurricane scare a few months ago. And it, it, it takes several months. It's a whole process you got to go through to get these. And I originally thought whole house generators were, you know, kind of outside outside all, all my reach. But um, I, I did some investigating and they have actually come down significantly in cost. It was about a third of what I, you know, thought that they were when I looked at these years ago. They've got a, a bunch of different sizes. I am very fortunate that I have natural gas at my home. Um, so I was able to hook it right up to the, the natural gas line. And when the power goes out, which the uh, last time the power went out, um, it was out for five days. I will be sitting here with internet and AC and all of those good things. I'm very excited. I feel like this is the natural conclusion, Katie. To my uh, power issues? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, also just your general fixation with the uh, with auxiliary power. It's like, of course, you got a whole house generator. It's all done. It's all done. This is the we we've reached the pinnacle, and I'm good. Well, I think you could you could take it one step higher. You live in Florida. Why don't you put the solar panels on your roof too? So you've got them constantly gener constantly powering your generator. So 
if things go really badly, you can have the sun to power as well. No, don't get me wrong. I've I've looked into that too. My my issue is I have a on this particular house the roof is a little bit older, and so I would put solar panels on after I replace the roof. You, I mean, I, and I don't want this to sound like it's going to sound, but are, are solar panels a good idea in Florida with the storms you guys have? It depends. It depends on where you live and where you're going to put the solar panels on. So. All right. Well, I've been spending money uh, the last couple of weeks. I've been, um, I'm calling it phase two of the home studio. You know, I got it started, but then I got really busy getting those, uh, the series shortcuts and the OmniFocus field guide out. Now that I ship those two products, I'm going back to finishing kind of the build out of the home studio. So I'm looking, I, I, this is kind of a stuff I'm playing with in progress. <laughs> uh, the first thing is I didn't like the boomy sound of the room between the cork floor and the walls. It just was, it was still a little boomy in here. Whereas in the old bedroom, because we had a bed in there and clothing hanging and you know, just whatever, just the natural baffles of the room were making the room quieter than the new one, which I, I wasn't happy with. And um, so I, I went back and forth on it. Ultimately, I purchased uh, from Amazon. Uh, they're called Acoustamac DMD um, um, uh, acoustic foam, and it's just a it's fabric covered acoustic foam that you can hang on the wall. It looks really attractive. It does take away my ability to hang Star Wars art in my office, but that's okay. I have little statues, so I guess that's enough. But it has made a significant difference in the room in terms of the sound absorption. And I bet you can even hear it on the show um, because it, it, it has improved the room. So I've been really happy with that. And next I'm looking at, I'm not happy with the, um, with the lavalier mic that I'm doing for some of the video stuff. Um, it just doesn't sound very good. So I'm starting to research um, boom microphones, not necessarily shotgun, but microphones that I can hang off a boom just out of the shot and get better audio when I do the video stuff. So um, I don't have anything to report yet. Maybe that'll be my next fancy thing I spend next month, but I'm, I'm looking at various microphones at different price points and I just want to get the best I can without going too crazy. So it's still, I mean, when do you think this thing will be done? Never, hopefully. Never, hopefully, never. Hopefully always it'll always a be progress. a work in progress. Yeah. I mean, always improving it in little ways. But the um I mean it's largely done now. But I'm I'm just making little tweaks here and there. Like I now that I'm in here, I want to get the audio sounding a little better. I'm not entirely happy with that. And once I get that fixed, I'm sure I'll find something else. Like the lighting is not great yet, but that's largely because I'm incompetent at hanging lighting. But I've been watching a bunch of YouTubes and I'm getting better at that too. So I'll figure it out. There's there's a lot of good information out there. All right. Well, I can't wait to see things um, in when I watch your new gift wrap field guide. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I'm doing that one before I get some of the new equipment, so that won't. I'll still have some of the old sound, but yeah, I, I I'm looking forward to getting the Katie Floyd review of the gift wrap field guide. Oh, there will be a Katie Floyd review of the gift wrap field guide. Stay tuned on that for the next episode. <laughs> um, we, that that will definitely be covered before the end All of right. the year. So. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap us up for another episode of MPU Plus. I do want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Omni Group, Luna Display, Fresh Books, and Gazelle. And of course, you can continue this discussion and more uh, in our forums. That's over at talk.macpowerusers.com. And we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.